You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. Kind of, I didn't even realize this. I'm really excited about today's message, and it's amazing how God starts unveiling the message to you and the why before you ever preach it. But it was five years ago on a Sunday today that we experienced what would end up being me roll tide when little Brian fell off a chair, my youngest daughter, cracked her skull, and was minutes away from uh, not being with us anymore. And for those that don't know the story, I encourage you to go to merolltide.org because that will help you understand a lot, a lot about Amy and I and our journey and what we mean when we say prayer. Uh, you may not know this when you talk to Brian, but she has a damage to her cochlea, meaning that she has hearing issues, was in hearing aids prior to the fall, prior to the fall. After the fall, we watched God totally restore her to the point that she no longer even wears hearing aids. And it was an amazing journey, and, and we acknowledge God for what he did. But today's a five-year anniversary of that, and that's kind of cool to me, and I want it to be cool to you. So go, go to Me Roll Tide. You'll see 30 simple devotions written from a hospital room uh, that I was writing or Amy was writing. It's going to be great. But with that being said, we're in a series called Then and Now. Uh, we want to take some of the people in God's Word, look at it, what it was like back then, how it affects to Christ, and then what does that have to do with us now. And we're going to be in a very, very probably unique message. This is a message I've been so excited to share with you because it's something that's so much, so much bigger than just your everyday message that we give. But we're going to end up being in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 36, looking at one particular man, Elishama who shows up just a few times. Now, there's going to be a lot of different names. Most of them I'm going to try not to pronounce. If you know anything about me, you will learn that one of the things I struggled with as a kid was reading. And even to this day, it's not embarrassing. It's just part of it. At age 46, I, I have no idea how to read phonically. Like somebody says, oh, just sound it out. I don't know what that means. I just read by sight. Uh, it's one of, one of my... My thorns in the flesh, I don't know what you want to call it, shortcomings, I don't, it's just one of those things, I've long gotten over that, and, uh, but I will do the best that I can. But we're going to read about Elishema today in Jeremiah, because there's something that I want you to catch that's in God's Word, and here's the phrase I want you to understand, listen to this. If you cannot grasp the history of God's Word, and if it's not the truth, and if it's not accurate, then how can you accept the message of the same word? Does that make sense? Like if, if we can't trust the history of the message, if we, can't, if we can't trust the history of God's word and what is going on, then how can we trust and accept the message of God's word as well? And I just want to help you. If you remember last week, I'm not going to re-preach last week's message. You can go to the podcast. But I told you I'm going to give you two things that will show you the inerrancy of God's Word. And last week, we talked a little bit about Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. And we talked about this system that was set up, this court system that he set up and how he would govern the people. That is so much uh, an attribute of what we're doing now that that same court system that was set up in the book of Exodus is something that is still set up to this day in the way that we have set up the United States judicial system. And it's one of the things that we have that lets us know that you can trust the history of God's Word. Well, today we're going to be looking at a time period that's roughly around 605, uh, give or take a few years, but 605 B.C., 
is where this Elishama shows up. And he only shows up one time in God's Word. And when he shows up, you don't hear hardly anything about him. Like, you, you, it's like, it's just like, why is he even there? Can I read it for you? <laughs> Help me. Please bear with me as I read through some of this because of the names. I'll probably just skip through most of it. But in chapter 36, verse 11, it says, uh, they were sitting there, and he went down to the king's house, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there. And then here's this Elishama, the secretary. And then it talks about the lot of the son and some other people. And then if you jump down to, to chapter, uh, verse 20, it says, So they went into the court to the king, having put the scroll in the chamber. And here's this word again. Elishama, the secretary, this person. And they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of, here he is again, Elishama, the secretary. And what I want you to understand is that Elishama, in this time frame, was what would be called a scribe. And he was a secretary to the king. You say, Mickey, what is the point? Now, you're going to have to bear with me today. Because this is not one of these typical, like, Bible, I don't like to use the word story. But it's not one of these typical Bible characters. There's a lot of All we know about Elishama is that he was a scribe to the king of Israel. He was a secretary to this king. And he shows up these three times in this one particular book of the Bible, and we never hear anything from him again. Actually, a few chapters later, we hear of, of his dad being mentioned again. And how he was one of the sons. And we hear about him having children. But there is nothing. Listen to me. There is nothing about Elishama that is in God's word that would make you go, why is that there? Like, why is that there? And it's one of those things that, that what I want you to catch is that God has a way that's bigger than your way. And God has a knowledge that's bigger than your knowledge. And there are times that God has things in God's word that has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with your belief in him and understanding his word. And that's what I believe Elishama is. I believe Elishama is one of these characters that God has in his word so that you would understand that you can trust the history of it. You say, Mickey... What in the world are you talking about? Well, it talks about him being a scribe. It talks about him being a secretary. And there's one way that they would normally identify the different things in Old Testament period. You may have heard this before. It talks about a king's seal or a king's ring. But a lot of times when they would write stuff or they would send a letter, then they would turn around and take a piece of wax or a candle. They would have it burning, and they would seal the envelope, and then they would put wax on the envelope, and he would press that ring into the envelope, and that would let you know that it was something authentic from that king. But it's one of those things that Elishama was a scribe and a secretary. So not only would they do some of this when it talks about him sending letters that are right here, not only would they do this with wax, but they would also do this with clay. They would take clay and they would put this stamp into it, and that would let you know that who the letter was from. Now, again, Elishama only shows up like three times. You say, why? Well, I think I know a reason why. The year was 1982, and they are doing some archaeology over in the city of David, which is where Israel, and guess what they found? I got a picture for you. They found one of these little, what's called a bullia. 
All right? If, it, if it's plural, it's called bully, but they got a bully. Can you get that picture up? And you know what that is? That literally is Elishima seal. Like this one name that showed up in God's word, talking about a secretary, talking about, like they actually found a piece of this man that actually exists. You say, Mickey, why would he have a clay seal? There's only one reason why you'd have a clay seal. You know why you have a clay seal? It's because you had to be a scribe. You must have been sending out letters. You had some sort of importance. So this is one of these archaeological finds that makes you go, holy moly, you mean this thing's real? Sure is. You say, oh, but Mickey, I mean, like I don't read Hebrew. How do I know that's what it is? Well, you got to trust me a little bit on that. I gave you all the data there and put it on there so you'd be able to see. But you can see that it was found in 1982, the bottom, by the city of David, and it now resides in the Israel Museum. But this is what's really cool about this. This is what's called a booyah. But go to the next picture. See, they didn't just find one. They found a plethora of bullets. And do you know what else they found? Go to the next slide. Four other different pieces that are also mentioned, and it gives you the scripture in Jeremiah 40, 41, Jeremiah 36, 26, in Jeremiah 37, 3, in Jeremiah 48, all of these different bullets that are the same clay imprint of people that are all in this one particular book of the Bible, the book of Jeremiah, with people that are only mentioned just one time. In fact, the, probably the most common one that you recognize is Ishmael, who was one of the kids of Solomon. But they all had these seals. And you say, Mickey, why is that important? Because if you cannot trust the history of God's word and what it is and what it stands for and the way it's dated, then how do you accept and trust the message? But this is one of those things when people ask you, well, you know what, tell me, how do you know the Bible's true? And then you answer, well, it's because of my faith. That's a terrible answer. I mean, it's a good answer to me because I have that faith. But to somebody that doesn't have the faith, guess what? They, that doesn't mean nothing to them. Do you know that you now have another answer? Why do you believe the Bible is true? Well, I've got two main reasons. The first is the fact that our American judicial system was founded out of the book of Exodus. And this guy named Jethro, and the way he inhabited God's people, and he only shows up once and he tells Moses how to govern these people. And the fact that it still exists today, if, it, if you're going to look for an original, you've got to look to the, the carbon copy where it goes back to. That's the first concept. The second is we have archaeological findings of these different, this is just one of many things, by the way, that I can take you from people that God put in his word that was the inspired word of God, and I believe the only reason why they were there is so that you would understand how it means to believe. Like you could have some fact to your belief system. These bullies are in existence. You say, man, what does that have to do with Jesus? Listen to me. If we as a people group cannot believe in the mysteries and the history of God's word, and have factual evidence to back it up, then how can we accept and believe in the message? See, I truly believe that this is one of these messages where God wants you to understand that your faith is bigger than just your faith. 
like this Bible, this inspired canon that talks about this Yahweh, this God. And it has this trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that through him you can have life and have life more abundant. You can trust that message. Why? Because things are being unearthed on a regular basis that are revealing that this is the truth. Can you go back up to those four that were all together at once? Look at the dates in which they were found. One was in 1975. One was in 1980. One was in 1935. But look at this one. 2010. Do you know even the earth is still producing the evidence that everything that this Bible is talking about, it is exactly what it is. And so I would tell you, different type of message today, but I would tell you that guess what? You can trust the word of God. Thank you for doing that for me in the back. He said, well, Mickey, what's that got to do with Christ? Well, if I'm going to trust the word of God, you know what else I'm going to trust? I'm going to trust the message of God. Like, if I know that this is historically true, and I can trust that it is the truth, and I have things that are in my life that are showing me that this is the biblical, like, it's, it's more than just a book of faith. Like, this is a divine-inspired word of God, and I can trust the message of God. You know what that means? That means I can start understanding it better, and I can trust the message. I can trust the Savior. I can trust the Jesus of the Bible. Why? Because I know the Bible's true. But then there's something else that I wanted to realize. Not only do we know the message of the Bible is true, but as it relates to you, guess what? I believe you can trust that as well. Here's the scriptures that I pulled out. I pulled them out specifically because I believe that I and you need to hear some of these. The first one that I pulled out, if, if I can trust that the Bible's true, then that means I can trust that this scripture is true. Listen to this scripture. I love this scripture. You're not going to see this on screen. This is just free of charge. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, and that you may be able to endure. Can I put that in everyday terms? If the history's true, the message is true, this promise is true. I don't know who you are today, but God put it in my heart to make sure that somebody that's here understands that no matter where you're at, he's still got more for you. And wherever you're at right now, this isn't the end. I don't care how hellacious things have gotten. I don't care how terrible you may feel like it is right now. God's scripture tells us, and we can trust it. I just gave you evidence that you can trust this word. And you know what he says? He's never going to put on you more than you can handle. We did a series back when all this stuff started with the pandemic. And we made this comment. We said, we said let your setback become your comeback. Let your setback become your comeback. And I think for some of us, we get so caught up in the situation that we're in that we don't realize that he's actually launching you into something different. 
God had all of this prepared. I was writing this message. I had no idea that this is the stuff I was going to be talking about on the five-year anniversary of my daughter falling off a chair. You'll talk about a setback. Around this time, five years ago, we were literally running into Erlanger in, a, in that room that they take you where it's like, you know, this is like the morning room. Like this is like, like this is where people go to grieve. And not knowing if she was going to live. But God did something so much bigger in that situation. And not only was he doing a miraculous thing in my daughter's Brian, and I don't want to be one of these things that five years from now we're still talking about Brian, like God's done more things since then. But God was not only restoring a, a child of his, Brian, but he's also in the process of launching a church called Crossroads Community Church. But you know what it started, excuse me, you know what it started with? A setback. You know why it starts with a setback? Because if it's not, you'd think you could do it on your own. But I love the fact that if we can trust the history of the Bible, we can trust the message of the Bible. There was another scripture that, that God gave me. It's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Not only is he not going to give you more than you can handle, but listen to these words. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So not only do I not have to worry about all hell breaking loose in my life because God through him, because I can trust his word, he's not going to put on me more than I can handle. I also know that until Christ comes back, he is in the process of completing me. Like God was Jerry Maguire before Jerry Maguire was a movie. I know a lot of you guys that are younger, Google that. Go to Netflix, watch that. It's a real good line. But it's one of those things that the concept that is there, listen to me, God is in the process of refining you and bringing you to a state of completion. And he says he will continually do that until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, there's something more that's there. Listen, if we're talking about the message, then we got to take the whole message. The other thing that we get is not only that God's not going to put any more on us than what we can handle, not only the fact that he's in the process of completing us, but he's also in the process of getting ready because he's coming back. Boy, how much of a hot button is that right now? Pastor Mickey, what's your thoughts about all this stuff going on? We got more hurricanes than ever, and we got more fires than ever, and we got people rioting, and we got, I'm sorry, peaceful protesting, and we've got people that are doing different things. But it's one of those things that all this stuff is going on, and we try to explain all these different things, but the thing that's going on that we need to understand is that the message is truthful. And this is something that he's going to be in the process of refining you until he comes back. And guess what? Everything that you're seeing is yes. It is directly out of God's word. You can look in the book of Revelations. You can look at some of the prophets. You can look at the minor and the major prophets. And you'll see that there's not anything happening that's not already been foretold in God's word. So, Mickey, what's your response about God coming back? He is. When? I, that's the wrong question. I mean, Scripture tells me, and again, I can trust the message, that not even the Son knows. Not even Jesus Christ himself knows. He refers to that's only something that the Father knows. Why? Because he knows how you are. See, you're a lot like me. If you told me, that, hey, Pastor Mickey, man, you're going to die 
December the 30th, 2035. Now, somebody put that down just in case that was to happen. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? But if you were to tell me that, you know what I would do? I would immediately start leveraging everything in my life knowing when it's going to end. What about retirement? I ain't worried about retirement. I know that on December the whatever, whatever name I say, that I'm, I'm not going to worry about that. In fact, for some of you, including me, now I know a lot of you guys are a lot better than I am, but if I'm not careful, you know what I would do? I would live my life for myself until the day before I knew I was going to be gone. And then I would live my life for him so I could have eternal peace. See, I, I have a tendency, and I'm not talking about you. You guys are amazing. I'm talking about me. I have a tendency to be a very self-consumed individual if I'm not careful. And I think that's one of the reasons why when people start asking the questions about the end times, about eschatology and studying those things, and they want to know a time and a place and the when. The reality is, is they don't really want to know a time and a place and the when. The reality is they want to get away with as much as they can without getting caught. And I believe that's the reason why God says, I'm not telling you that. But I will tell you this, because again, if we trust the history, and we can trust the message, he says, I am coming. And you better be ready. I'll come like a thief in the night. No man, no one even knows the hour in which the, the God uh, Father will return. But I'll come like a thief in the night. And he starts this whole parable about, if you knew when I was coming, you would have been ready. Let me tell you something. If I show you stuff that would prove to you that this Bible is real, and if the message of this Bible was real, then wouldn't you think you'd start implementing it into your life to make sure that what you were doing was real? But you know the last scripture, because again, if we can trust the history, we can trust the message. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You notice he didn't put in here after this? Now bow your head, close your eyes. If you don't want to go to hell, raise your hand. If your hand's raised, repeat this prayer. What he said was very simple, wasn't it? If. That's a big if, isn't it? If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. You know, today's message is very, very simple. See, today's message as far as then and now is one simple thing that God literally has put people in his word that most people would say, why in, Lord, what are you doing? Like, who is this guy? He's a scribe. He's a secretary of the king. He's a nobody. And with one digging of a spade became a somebody. And with one booyah became evidence that this word is trustworthy. See, that's how much bigger God is. God is consumed with the everyday ordinary people that you would call and that I would call non-role players. 
in his word, understanding there was going to come a day in 1982 that Elishamai would be, you know what, one of the greatest evidences that we have that God's word is exactly who it says it is. You know what I think that's what he's doing with you? We were talking about clay booyah, or plural, bullies. But you know what the ironic thing is? That's not the only time that God talks about clay in his word. You know, he talked about this clay booyah, this, this seal, and it's going to be found, and it's going to be this concept of how he's going to prove his word, because we know now because we're on the other side of, of the history line. But do you know that he refers to you as jars of clay? As something that will carry the message. It's something that's moldable and refined so that you can carry something of worth. See, I do believe in biblical archaeology. I do believe there's amazing things that God has that shows us that we can trust God's word. Like there are things that are back then that are going to be uncovered in the now that's going to affect your current present day. But if you think the greatest proof of God's word is a clay booyah, you've lost your mind. Most of you have never even heard of that prior to today. You know why? God's greatest proof has always been his people. Some people need the archaeological stuff just because they do lack a little bit of faith. But you know what God uses the most to change people's lives? Not clay seals. Not rocks that are still stacked close to the Jordan. Not different concepts that if you go on a trip to Israel, you can go and walk through and you can see these and you go, wow, these are real places. These are real things. That's not what God uses to change most people's lives. You know what he uses? He uses something bigger. It's called a living sacrifice. It's called your life. He uses your ability that despite when all hell breaks loose, you turn to him and your faith and let it refine you. That speaks volumes to people. You know, the way I've put it for many, many years is that people are very, very consumed, not as much as the way you act, but the way you react. And I wonder, just a question, I wonder if your life being lived is more proof than a clay bullion. I mean, this stuff's great. Listen, I, I spent some hours, man, I got lost. I mean, I started going from one site to another site to some different concordances, some different books, some different things. I mean, I, I, I was like, dude, I could get lost in this stuff. I've been blessed to, to have some family members that, that are very, very knowledgeable, in the, especially in the book of Genesis and some of these biblical history things and been able to get lost in conversations and read some different books. And, and I, I mean... And get into God's word. And look at some of these dates. That's the reason why I love the Old Testament. Talking about a timeline. And talking about around 605 B.C. And talking about the different concepts. Because it gives you the understanding of how old this earth really is. And what's really going on. But the reason why I'm so consumed with it. Is not because it proves that God exists. Because you've already done that. 
what it does prove, and we don't like to say this a lot, but that you're right. Like, when as a church are we going to stand up? And I know it's not real PC-like. But when are we going to stand up and say, listen, you can like it or don't like it, but I'm telling you, I'm right. There is a man named Jesus Christ who was born of a virgin that entered this world 2,020 years ago in a city called Bethlehem. And he lived a life that was flawless. He was perfect. And yet him knowing no sin, guess what? He went to a cross that he could bear your sin. And he said in John that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. But Mickey, I've heard there's many ways. Well, you've been lied to. I'm sorry, you're wrong. I'm telling you, I'm right. Oh, there you go. You just want these, oh, I'm, I, I'm not trying to be chauvinistic or egotistical. I'm just letting you know that sometimes when you're seeking perfect sense and you find it, you need to quit seeking sense. Like, he is the way. And I think for some of us, I'm not going to talk about you, I'll talk about me. I talk about me and John up here on the stage. Because I know John's heart, and we spent some time talking. So we'll talk about us. We won't talk about you. You can keep trying to do it your way. And you can keep finding yourself in the same exact daggum situation. And I'll be honest with you, it sucks. So you shouldn't use a word like that. Trust me, that was better than the word that was in my head. Or you can start moving into his word. And you say, you know what, this is true. So what else does his word talk about? Well, it talks about loving God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. It talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. It talks about how you can love God and love people and do it amazingly. It talks about a purpose. It talks about life and life more abundantly. In fact, there's not anything in God's word that it doesn't talk about. In fact, it says even if you refuse to worship him, then even the rocks will cry out. In fact, if you don't want to be his mouthpiece, go read about Balaam. Hey, he'll even use a jackass to talk. But listen to me. In all seriousness, not making jokes, you got to do something with what the truth is. If you've been here longer than one week, you'll know this is not your typical message at Crossroads. But this is the one thing that I start thinking about when we start talking about the then and now. Is the fact is, is if, if the then is true, then the message of Christ has to be true as well. And if the message of Christ is true, then your now has to be effective. You're fooling yourself. You're the biggest fool of all if you think that those thens and the Savior Jesus doesn't affect your now. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.